Hi. Thank you. Thank you for doing this with me today. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself to my listeners? Sure. I'm Anika. Okay. Uh, I go sure? to school with Ayana. We're about to graduate. And um, I watched an episode of The Bachelor. Yeah. Don't regret it, but I won't be doing it again. Okay. <laughs> so the reason why Anika is here talking with me today, why she's my guest on the podcast today, is because we both took a psych class um, at the college next to our high school, and I thought it'd be interesting to discuss some of the neurological phenomena that arise as people watch The Bachelor as previous psychology students. We're not pros, obviously, but I thought it would be interesting just to see what we come up with and hear our ideas around the science of the bachelor addiction. Now, I don't know how easy this will be for us, being who we are, but for this episode, I think it's important that we separate our artistic side and try to remain completely scientific or mostly scientific. So first we should talk about our scientific definitions of love. So... I guess for me, through my research, love is the interaction of dopamine and oxytocin in our brains. Dopamine being like the chemical that sparks our reward system. Like it feels good when the dopamine courses through our minds and everything. And it makes us want to keep doing it over and over again. And I think dopamine is also the chemical that responds in our brains when we do like drugs or things like that. So that kind of shows how love is sort of like an addiction. And you can just be addicted to the feeling. It's not necessarily good all of the time. And then oxytocin is like the bonding chemical. So like what makes us stay attached to that one specific person. And I guess that's what separates like love from lust kind of. Like that oxytocin being there maybe. So for my scientific definition of love, I think it's it's like... Uh, the reward system that's created by the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and etc like when they're all turned on it reduces anxiety and increases trust and that's usually like when you're around a romantic partner and a romantic love setting and i know that they act like when those areas of the brain are turned on it prohibits defensive behavior mm. and um, when, when in a romantic setting, the amygdala and the frontal cortex, so what's responsible for like critical thinking and logistical analysis, those parts of the brain are actually turned off, which reduces likelihood of judging your partner or finding anything bad about them or like catching the red flags. Right. So I think that's what scientifically-ish love looks like to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting how the activated regions of our brains that you discussed are activated during sexual arousal and romantic love, but not for the feelings of maternal love or parental love, which makes me think that sex and romance go hand in hand, which makes me wonder, besides from the innate need to like reproduce, what are these crippling romantic emotions that people feel for each other besides like the human need for attachment, our need to talk to people, our need to have a community. Way back when, when we barely had any other form of communication, we didn't have media or books or writing. We were just animals who needed to survive. So 
was love like even the same back then or is it a modern thing now is something I think about often because humans are clearly social and emotional animals and I'm sure we've always been that way but I feel like we've dramatized the idea or feeling of romance to make nature sound more appealing there are other mammals who have life partners that might be something that is natural for us the whole life partner thing I think makes sense but I think once we began to make love seem more dramatized and glorified, it uh-huh. made it more complicated because it's just more complicated now right. than the science. And it's just really strange to me. Like now there's like divorce and there's mm-hmm. there's you have to keep things lively in your relationships. Anyway. Do you have any ideas as to where that may have came from? Like, why humans do this? Like, what is the purpose of having life partners? Like, you have to get married or something to be considered a life partner in a way that's socially acceptable or all these other ways that love has been more complicated. Where do you think this may have, like, come from? I think humans' perception of what like human beings are now is immensely different than what it used to be we're talking hundreds 200 years ago and um even i don't know even two decades ago i think it's immensely different because immediately my mind goes to maslow's hierarchy of needs and how your physiological needs need to be satisfied like the first tier safety like job security financial security love and belonging then esteem Mm -hmm. then civilization and I feel like since we're not living wildly, we're not living in a society where you're clambering to get these things, or at least you and I aren't. Like we have, we have physio- physiological needs. Like that tier is completed. It's fulfilled so we can move on. And so is, so is safety. Like I think we have general security in where we are. But I think where it starts to get shaky is like love and belonging and esteem. And I think one that's normal for like teenagers but also since we're not theories that were centered around happiness and how to get to self-actualization like breed of humans like i feel like one living in an american society completely throws out our priorities like what are at the end of the day what is the top most priority and most humans or like most americans is to be happy like to be fulfilled but I think in a society where it's sort of everything is sort of haywire I guess it's it's just to be alive I think we're at this point where romantic love is one of the things that we believe is going to get us to that point where we are going to be happy or we are going to be the ideal human like the perfect balance of everything I know as a perfectionist that having an idealistic version of what humans and what I'm supposed to look like, what my relationships are supposed to look like and what my partner is supposed to look like. It has a sense of like fulfillment to it. Once I have a stable marriage and a dog that wears like a pink collar and two kids and I'm like a soccer mom, but not because I'm an independent woman, that's the point I'm fulfilled. The idea that I'm going to go biking in Paris with the love of my life. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? And just like, 
I think it's dramatized because of literature and media and the recent sexualization of all women everywhere. Mm. Like the fact that we walk into a museum and see any European art where women are portrayed as naked and the first thought is where are her clothes. I think the fact that I'm always conscious of how I'm moving, where I'm placing, whatever, you know, that's not, that's, that's recent. That's really new. And we're living in a society that's completely different than it used to look. I think the idea of romance is always changing, which makes it so easy to dramatize because it's always evolving. I think that humans needed a way to make things seem more pleasant because even when I think of other animals who aren't as advanced as humans are, like hippos, for example. I remember like I did that project on hippos and I was I decided not to talk about the way that hippos like reproduce because if they were humans, like that would be pretty brutal and it would not be socially acceptable at all. And I won't even get into the gory details of how hippos reproduce. But okay. I think like today, like you said, our set of mor- the sets of morals that we have are different because we live in a more modern society. So back back way before society was civilized, sex could have been like a more lenient thing. It was just like passive, like whatever you do it with whoever you want. And that's fine because that's nature. But mm-hmm. today, like our set of morals is completely different. There are like commitments that you must have. It would be mm-hmm. immoral to be unfaithful to your partner. And even if you don't have a partner, it's still considered immoral to sleep with multiple people in some people's opinions. Even though that, like, that's changing now too, like, I still feel like there's a significance sociologically, something (laughs) that tells us, hey, like, you have to stay with one person so that your morals are aligned. Like, we know not to go out naked in public. That's like a, yeah, a social more is an accepted traditional custom and uses of particular social group, moral attitudes. Yeah. Marriage in general is a socially accepted thing. So if you're not, then that's strange. You have to make examples to like show people, hey, it's not so bad to be tied down in a marriage. It's not so bad to be devoted to one person for the rest of your life. So in order to kind of make that seem more appealing, they created love, the glorified version, love the version separate Mm -hmm. from nature. What you were saying in the museum and how women are naked in the paintings. And don't you also think it's interesting how the women who are naked in those paintings aren't like skinny supermodels and they aren't like Kim Kardashian's body type either. And how their body type was seen as gorgeous. If your woman is bigger, curvy, but not like slim, thick kind of curvy, it means that you must be rich if you're married to her because you're feeding her well. So that kind of goes back to your hierarchy of needs being fed in the medieval times. The food, like, first of all, your streets are filled with poop and you can barely survive because you might die of the plague. And like, so if you can feed your woman, you must be successful, you must be rich and maybe that's what fulfillment looked like in the medieval times and then even um how the idea 
that women are kind of sexual objects or the definition of sexuality or sensuality really mm-hmm. must stem from that biological everything that we know today all this like gender roles gender norms gender stratification is all based on biology supposedly men are biologically stronger than women so men should be at a be higher on the hierarchy of hierarchy they just they're just yeah. stronger better they should be the leaders and then women your purpose is to bear children and take care of the home while the man like goes out and hunts and finds stuff and that might have been the circumstances when that was something that we actually needed to survive but now that we're modernized like that kind of image has evolved as humans have evolved but now that we're here like in 2022 we don't really need that anymore now that we're smart enough to know and stray away from the boundaries of gender norms and biology now we know that it's completely normal to be gay straight bisexual pansexual whatever and i also think it's interesting how you were talking about riding a bike in paris with your partner or having a dog with a pink collar and two kids and a husband but still being independent would you say like that is a fantasy that you have i think 100% fantasies are an extension of our subconscious desires separate from dreams fantasies often affect our daily lives our beliefs and our expectations Fantasies are daydreams, episodes, romances, or fictions that we create in our minds while awake. Fantasy feeds human desires and the inner child. While fantasy as a genre keeps the magic that we adore as children alive, from a psychological perspective, fantasy allows the inner child to believe a false reality. Sigmund Freud believed that fantasies occur due to the repression of our unconscious thoughts that may be not socially accepted, painful, or traumatic. Repression may reduce outward stresses and anxieties because these feelings are not a part of the conscious mind, but nevertheless, our unconscious feelings seep through the cracks of the mind through fantasies, dreams, and jokes. In Freud's words, the return of the repressed, emotions demand expression. Do you think that too much freedom of a concept that is as abstract as love or abstract as individuality too much freedom and that might be bad for you. I think it wouldn't really exist to the extent that you're talking about if there was no yeah, romanticization of love in the first place. Back to like my last point about like how love is natural and we do like happen to come across life partners and we have come mm-hmm. across life partners since the beginning of time. That is a completely natural thing. Like you just meet someone and you happen to fall in love with them. I think like because our idea of love has changed so much and we have overcomplicated it from this from these like scientific definitions that we come up with so far, mm-hmm. we've kind of left out this when we take drugs or when we do drugs, there comes a time where we they don't have the same effect on us anymore. Like when you're an addict and you've been taking heroin for a long time, it's not always going to do it for you anymore. And then you'll like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I watch TV. Like I've watched stuff. And like <laughs> if you're an addict, sometimes like the high just wears off. So this like heightened love thing that we romanticize so much, like it doesn't last forever. But 
that's not necessarily what love is. Something else like about love that I feel like is forgotten is the staying power is not just because you're at this high and you feel like you you just started dating all the time. Like it's also just like you're committed to that person. They're just a part of your life and you're comfortable having them around. You would sacrifice this for them. You would do these things for them. And you know that they would do the same thing for you. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that. I don't know. I just feel like when I think of people who are in love in TV, it's so much different than the married couples that I know. Right. So I don't think these fantasies that we have are just a product of the media to make us think that this is what you need to be in love or this is what love Mm. looks like when it's really not. I don't know. I just feel like if you got, if we all just said, hey, maybe, maybe I don't really need to get, maybe like marriage isn't my first priority. Mm. Because I feel like when you feel like, oh, the moment I feel this high with someone, I'm just going to marry them. Like <gasps> that ruins it because that's not really what love is that kind of connects to the attachment theory. Like, our relationships with our parents affect our lives and our relationships, our behavior, like, for the rest of our existence. So the types were first categorized by Mary Ainsworth, and this comes from John Bowlby's work in attachment, which started in the 1950s. Mary Ainsworth came later, around the 70s, and developed this strange situation where they observed babies and their parents and kind of developed these different ways to categorize the attachments. Now, the best kind of attachment is what's called secure attachment. When Mary Ainsworth did her study, she thought that two-thirds of people would have this attachment. Honestly, I think as further research has come, it's probably not true. I think it's actually more the minority than the majority. But aside from that, there's three other types of insecure attachment. And the first type is anxious preoccupied. So these are people who tend to be more clingy. Um, they, they have a lot of needs that feel unaddressed and they mm-hmm. oftentimes will even have fantasy beliefs about what a relationship will do for their life. I think I dated that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like we all did. Um, I know people are like, hmm, which ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend is this <laughs> right. one? Um, and then we have the dismissive avoidant attached individuals who as adults tend to be much more independent. They tell themselves they don't really need relationships Mm. and they tend to kind of escape situations where people want to express strong emotions. It makes them very, very uncomfortable. (laughs) And then finally, um, we have the fearful avoidant type. And this type is sort of a combination of the two types we just talked about that are insecure and they kind of go back and forth. So on the one hand, they really have this very conscious need to have deep relationships. But on the other hand, they're so afraid of abandonment Mm. that their behaviors are actually very erratic. So Mm. sometimes they act kind of clean, other times they run away and you can't kind of can't predict them. And then of course, going back to the securely attached, the whole idea is that these guys are able to be flexible in every relationship. They treat each relationship as it is, and they have flexible problem solving as opposed to this one-way approach to try to get their needs met. But as I mentioned, I think it's a lot less common than was originally thought. And I think like a lot of the media today taps into many people's insecure attachment styles. I would say that my attachment style is anxious preoccupied something about me personally is like when I look at life and I see like married couples there's nothing romantic about that (laughs) because 
all my ideas of romance and love come from the media. Mm. And it's not that, like, I don't think my parents are in love. It's just that, like, I look at them, I'm like, okay, you guys are just normal. Mm. And so for some reason, I feel like love should be better than that. My fantasy of the perfect guy will spill his soul to me, and I don't even have to ask him to. Like, if... (laughs) And that's, like, kind of the emotional hunger. I also, like, want to spill all my emotions onto someone, and I want them to do the same to me because then I feel like we are connected now. Being able to really confide in each other, trust each other, be honest with each other. If I think of, like, a real relationship, that's what a real relationship needs. But then also, like, maybe that's, like, a complete fantasy. Or I guess there are a lot of things that I've fantasized about, like, mm. different situations that I've just seen in movies that I'm like, mm, yeah, I would like for that to happen. Turbulence? <laughs> Maybe I'm turbulent. Conflict, disorder, confusion. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> like overthinking a lot. Yeah, uh, very much yeah. turbulent, yes. Okay, anyway, that's how I see it in my life. And then as far as TV, I think attachment styles are so, so prominent in The Bachelor because mm. they spell it out for us. They literally trauma dump on The Bachelor. I'm like, is this personal information that you're sharing right now like i'm they literally have like these circles on the bachelor where they're like so what we're gonna do they don't say this literally but like so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna spill all your deepest darkest secrets and then we're gonna find out if the bachelor still wants to be with you after you tell us all your business they all sit in a circle and it's like yeah so when i was six years old my cousin died and what oh my god that's terrible. Or they'll talk about like their relationship with their parents. And I remember specifically Matt James's season. They had his absent father come and talk to him on the show. And they kind of oh. had this com- this conversation. And I was just like, wow. I couldn't a- diagnose his attachment style or whatever just based on that conversation. But I think people would gravitate towards that because they see themselves in Matt. Or they feel like they have that same mm-hmm. kind of relationship with their father or if i was a psychologist a professional one not just like a one-time psychic student and i saw that like i'd be able to say i can see like how matt is interacting with his mom right now and how Mm -hmm. matt is interacting with his dad right now and then the specific women that he's chosen to keep throughout Mm -hmm. the season and i remember those women michelle (laughs) michelle serena and rachel Michelle was the bachelor bachelorette next, and she was a teacher. So I feel like maybe Matt J- James like happened to be anxious, preoccupied. Maybe that was his attachment style. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. But I don't even know why I said that. But maybe definitely an insecure attachment style. Is what I'm gonna say, and he needed like someone who was nurturing towards him, a teacher. Perfect example of someone who's nurturing. She teaches, like, fifth grade math. So mm-hmm. maybe he liked that part of her personality. Rachel, also very, like, motherly, like, very nice girl. And then mm-hmm. Serena, same thing. I really liked her. And I like her with her now. <laughs> but, yeah. Really, like, kind, lighthearted, no drama whatsoever between those women. Clean-cut, friendly, beautiful, sweet, mm. sweet, sweet women. And I think because his dad was absent like his mom was that person for him like to keep him grounded and to give him like emotional Mm -hmm. stability and everything so he looks for women who are like his mom 
While doing research, I found it interesting that many psychologists believe that we are strongly influenced by culture and media, which we discussed a couple of times. So it only makes sense that the production companies would use fantasies which are derived from our environment to make money. Dreams mm-hmm. are different from fantasies, but I also read that people who dream about their partner cheating on them or fighting with them or breaking up with them are more likely to start an argument that might actually lead to one of those things. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it makes sense. I know that when you're thinking about certain things and you have a way of thinking, you sort of build up a neuronal pathway that's energized over time. And like scientifically, basically as the electro electrical signals are transported from one neuron to the next, the myelin sheath, which covers like the part of the neuron that's towards the end where the signal goes through, that starts like coding it even more. So it becomes really, it becomes really fast transport like you're sort of programmed to think in a certain way because your brain tends to think in that way all the time so when you're building or and that's why they say like brain plasticity or how flexible your brain is is um earlier on like you have the most brain plasticity then because that's when your brain is being molded into the person or i guess the brain that it will be And so um, when thinking about like having a new part or having a partner and you're thinking about, oh, cheating on them and arguing with them and doing all sorts of stuff that sort of incites like violence or not violence, violence, but like, you know, just angst in a relationship. It makes sense that that you would be more prone to starting it because your brain is thinking in the way that it would be if the situation was actually happening. So once you've programmed your brain to think that, oh, I want to cheat on this person. Oh, I want to break up with this person. Oh, I want to argue with this person. Your brain's most likely going to go in that direction because you've programmed it to think that way. Mm. Do you think it probably works the same way for fantasies of like in a Disney movie? Like if all we're seeing is I'm a woman, so I should be like the submissive one and I should be the one waiting for the guy or I should sacrifice this and that for the guy. Do you think it works the same way for those types of fantasies? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think like we can look at a real world example of I just want like older people that are in a longer marriage. Like their ideas and their morals are really different from ours because I feel like hookup culture is a lot more prominent now than it used to be along with like sexualization and like immediate gratification from sex Mm. Um, I think that's a lot more prominent now so when grandparents and other people look on other people that age like it's kind of like oh man like what are these kids doing it's just incomprehensible it doesn't align with my morals it doesn't align with the way that my brain was programmed to think and when I think about like breaking the fantasies that I've had since I was a child like how people look at me or how people must romanticize me or like main character complex and all of that it's a lot harder to break because my brain plasticity is nowhere where it used to be Mm. i think as we go forward and we do have an extremely like gender aware society and a sexually aware society and one that encourages no more toxic masculinity which i'm here for I think 
I don't know. The people that come out of this next generation, I think, are going to look extremely different from who we are today because their brains are programmed to think in way different ways than we are. And I think, honestly, that generational gap that Gen Z thinks that they will cover is honestly like, I don't think it will work because the drama that we must have had from millennial or like, what's older than millennial? Like Gen X. Okay, I, I guess. Know. I don't know. Like the emotional baggage and trauma and whatever we have from being raised by Gen X parents. And it's not even their fault. It's just the way that they know how to raise us. But I feel like that might be the same sort of trauma that we pass on to Gen A1. I don't know. I can't keep up with the generations at this point. I think think you're right. And I think there's like, maybe there's like a limbo that millennials are in. Because most of the people on the show, like, are millennials. Oh, yeah. They're the other millennials. So they're not, they're kind of just like entering this like kind of woke era and leaving the kind of less woke era that mm. their parents lived in but i so feel like not- we kind of like jump from woke to not woke to woke to not woke like through the generations like weren't the 60s and 70s all about being like politically active uh, you're and kind aware of right. and everything and then the yeah. generation before like the 50s were all about like wearing your like pinup dresses and not dancing what or like <laughs> i know that like they like hated elvis because he like thrusted his pelvis right so you're like not supposed to move you're supposed to be like there's supposed to be a housewife and it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. a guy who's the breadwinner and the 60s and the 70s were like racism civil rights like Mm -hmm. everybody's active 70s like disco craziness rock and roll all that stuff and then suddenly like i think we were actually let me not even because we kind of pretend like we were woke but we never really were woke. yeah anyway I think it's safe to say that fantasy spark insecurities and cause major issues with communication and longevity in romantic relationships, which may be why so few couples come out of the bachelor experience Mm. married, unfortunately for them. So something that I did to compare like real people real people they're all real people (laughs) but to compare like (laughs) to compare like um um how am i gonna say not real to compare people who aren't on the bachelor to people are on the bachelor to like see if like these experiences are like similar is it true Mm -hmm. that people who watch the bachelor see themselves in contestants or um bachelors or bachelorettes is it true that like that might be a reason why they continue to watch or why they look forward to watching the next bachelorette so i asked my interviewees to um answer this question on a survey and i thought we could look through i said which contestant on the bachelor bachelorette bachelor in paradise have you empathized with or related to most and why So this person says, I thought Sean and Catherine's season had the right mix of what I would want to achieve if I were on the show. Authenticity, emotional maturity, good intentions, genuine buy-in 
and the awareness of the pros and cons of the show. In that sense, I admire both of them. Season or favorite Bachelor, Bachelorette contestant? Mm. Uh, I'd say Sean Lowe's season might be my favorite. Reason why. That was a good one. He just, he, he uh, was unlike... Unlike a lot of the bachelors, he like really had a higher degree of like emotional intelligence. He was just handled things with a little more maturity than some of the other bachelors. He was more genuine, it seemed like. Uh, and I really like the person he ended up with, who is uh, uh, Catherine. I think they're still together, as far as I know. Um, and yeah, she was. You know, she was. She was cool. She was. She was fun. Yeah. They clearly had a good, good thing. Most recently, I felt for Serena who I always thought was a little too sharp, mature, and together to be on the show. But then she ended up with someone, I think, at the end of Bachelor in Paradise. So it's possible for that kind of person to also succeed in that unique environment. I find it interesting about this like answer specifically, how they said Serena was a bit too sharp, mature, and together for the show. So mm. Serena is a real person, <laughs> quotations, real person. And then everybody else on the show is like, they're just here for the clout. And, like, I agree with that. I don't think Serena is the only real person, but I think a lot of the women on this show, like, they're not there for the right reasons, as a true Bachelor watcher would, would say. And I think it's funny because um, if you remember when we watched Ben's season, Sean was one of – Sean was, like, the, like, blonde guy, almost redheaded guy. Do you remember him? You know oh, yeah, yeah. How, like, two guys talked to Ben, like, before he uh, met all the uh, women. And wasn't just, Sean the one who told him to kiss all the women? Anyways. Mm, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Michelle and Tasha. I do like the woman that, that's on now. Her name's Michelle. And, and, I, and I'll say this. I don't really like the season that's happening right now, but I think mm -hmm. Michelle's amazing. She's, I think, the most impressive person, in my opinion, that's, like, been on the show. I do like Tasha's season. Love Michelle and Tasha. Love. Okay, so somebody says, Michelle comes to mind because the show is happening right now, and I think she's a really impressive, authentic person. And she's a teacher, so I understand her profession. But I also really empathize with Matt because I felt like he was forced into an awful situation, and I empathize with his discomfort. The person who answered this question may be empathetic because they experienced similar things or they understand the situation personally between Michelle and Matt because apparently they're a teacher. Obviously, they're a teacher. I only interviewed teachers. And then Tasha, Tasha, she wanted to be in a relationship where she felt secure, seen, and understood. So, see, like, I think this is a perfect example of how, like, we look for the people that we like and relate to like are looking for or emulate the things that we are also looking for and i w i'm just gonna throw my person out there rachel Lindsay. i related to rachel the most and i honestly related to all of the black bachelor contestants to be honest mm -hmm. because it's just where we have the same struggle and i anyway it's not about me about my interviewees i don't know if uh people relate to the bachelor but i think people keep coming back because it's sort of the absurdity that everyone's fantasies are really happening to people and that's right. why when people say like real like when you say real people it's like 
quotation marks because there's no way that this can be happening to real people because it's absurd. How can everyone's fantasies be like be given a million roses chosen out of a flock of beautiful women? That that's a fantasy. That's a fantasy. I mean, if I'm standing there, right, and I'm in a crowd of like 15 other beautiful no, how many? Uh, 30, 30? Yeah. <laughs> And my man says, Anika, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, you go off that because you chose me. And that's a fantasy. Or like being taken on a helicopter date. Or like if I already have kids, then going to the beach and seeing that he invited my kids. I mean, what? And I look great and he looks great. And the sun is setting. Like that's a fantasy. It's kind of like, how far are you going to take it? Like, are you really going to fulfill all these fantasies and get married? Like, no joke? Like, is this real? I would just like to say, you only watched, what, like, <laughs> one one or two full episodes of the show. So you didn't really get a real taste of, like, the emotions or the thought mm-hmm. process behind, like, all these women's actions and everything. We got a right. little bit of... What's your face? Lace. Was that her name? Oh, The one who got, like, super drunk and made a bunch of mistakes. Sure, like, we can't really relate to that. Like, we're 16. uh, Oh, we're 17. (laughs) We're 17. Okay. We're 17 and... Whoa, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. I forgot. We're 17. We're almost 18. Anyway... Um, we can't relate to that. We can't relate to her getting drunk, but we can, we can sympathize with that situation, but like, sure, that was mostly for entertainment purposes, but I think an example of something that people can relate to based on the person on the show is what one of my interviewees said about relating to Taisha who wanted to be seen and secure in her relationship. Like, that's Mm -hmm. something that you can really empathize with and relate to because that's something that you might also want in your relationship. Or Taisha will talk about, like, her past boyfriends or cry about how one guy is making her feel. And someone Mm -hmm. can, like, watch that and be like, oh, my God, like, that same thing happened to me. And be rooting for Taisha because they're also rooting for themselves. You were just saying, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of my interviewees said um, something along the lines of one of the reasons why they don't like to watch The Bachelor is because they feel like the girl's behavior is something that they've been trying to escape their whole life. The kind of girl talk, the like cat fights kind of thing. It might be nostalgic to watch that happen. Mm-hmm. Or you might be like reminiscent as you watch something like that. So yes. besides it also being like just entertainment and fun to watch because it's like good TV because of the drama, like it's also that that kind of feeling that you might have. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your experience watching this show. Okay. Um, so did you like it? Was it what you expected? Well, I vaguely remember watching it before. This time the first episode, I was like, okay, this could some this could be something I'm potentially into. But I was just thrown off a little about like of how like I just could not comprehend that they were real people in my head these women were seeking out this man 
they like sacrificed for him before they even know him. And I'm not the type to like celebrities off of TV anyway, so this was just kind of absurd. The second episode was when I really, really started not liking the show. I just could not find a single person that aligned with my morals on the show. And when I tried to empathize with them, all I could really think was like, why are you there? We'll just leave. Just leave. <laughs> when I think about Lace, I mean, I just think about like, I mean, that poor girl. Like, she got so drunk. But, I mean, what if this is not the guy for her? Just leave. It was just like, I don't know. It put your insecurities on blast to people that you never are going to meet. And by the end, these women were standing up for this man and bowing down to this man. And, oh, come kiss me. Oh, come kiss me. It was just like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Like, why are, why is, and he was having no problem whatsoever. He would say, oh, I really want to make sure that he, my kiss is limited. <laughs> Cut to the scene of him kissing 15 different women. I mean, what? It was just like all around confusing show. I did not like how they were idolizing the man because I feel like, well, if we're trying to avoid toxic masculinity and get to a place where feminism is like appreciated and recognized by all, where and it's not like twisted or warped or anything like that how does the bachelor help anything i mean it's literally a bunch of women sacrificing everything for this man they hardly know then this man is saying that he only cares for one woman but is like actively engaging in relationships with so many others that are that involve like touchy-feely not just like oh you know like friends Oh my gosh. I don't know. I just did not I didn't share anything in common with with the women. And also I was uh thrown off by the man's seemingly genuine self but actionly different. And then also the producer versus what the person is actually like. And then lastly, well, maybe not lastly, but one of the big ones is when your interviewee said um, I've been trying to get away from that cattiness and that pettiness my whole life. I agree. I mean, I don't have, I only have 17 years of life, but so far, so far, but, <laughs> but I don't like who my old middle school self used to be. And it was basically a summation of just drama and pettiness and cattiness and, I look back on that and it's kind of like, come on, like do better. Mm. And it's just, it was sad because I was sad, but I couldn't tell why I was sad. And so I empathize for those women because they're in a situation that forces them to be like that. And that's why I want to say get out because it's not healthy. But also those women are choosing to be there. And I just don't get it. I don't get it because it seems unhealthy. But I know love is scientifically confusing. It's wrong to want someone who's going to give you a perfect sense of fulfillment and help you finally complete the person of yourself, the version of yourself that you've been striving to complete. That's wrong. You don't need anyone else to complete you because you're a different person. But, or some people do it. I, I don't know. I don't know. But 
it it doesn't seem right to me. Like you should be able to love yourself without anyone else. Mm. And without any human, I guess. And it seems wrong to me, but it still is in my head. Like, I feel like that's that's the power of the stigma or the bias or whatever it is called. And I feel like that's why people like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Or maybe that's maybe one of the reasons why. Because it feels like it's a sense of freedom where you don't have to worry about your own fantasies because you're watching someone else complete them. Mm. And in a sense, you're living vicariously through them, but don't have the guilt of doing so. Right. Taking way too long. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for oh, that's it. with me.